Welcome to the Lawrence Steinberg Wealth Management Audiocast, where we cover market updates and provide commentary during this difficult time, specifically for you, the client. We speak to our firm's philosophy, our criteria, our strategies, and how we're approaching today's market environment. And by the end of the discussion, we hope you have a stronger sense of clarity and confidence surrounding how we're positioned and are leading through these unprecedented times. Welcome back to our second audio cast. I'm Liam Card, Senior Vice President here at Steinberg Wealth. And today we'll be focusing specifically on fixed income and high yield bonds. Fixed income, of course, a, a very important piece of any balanced portfolio, and certainly for those seeking income pre or post retirement. Today, we're going to take a look at the current environment in the credit markets, how it relates to investor portfolios, where we see value in bonds, some examples of what we own, and we're going to drill down into our process, our criteria, and how we manage risk and fixed income here at Steinberg Wealth. Joining me today is Phil Armstrong, Senior Vice President of Fixed Income Investments here at Steinberg Wealth. Phil, thanks very much for joining. Yeah, thanks. And Phil, let's start the discussion uh, with an overview. How do you see the fixed income and corporate bond market today, given what's going on? Sure. On the back of the uh, COVID virus, we saw a large sell-off in markets in March. You know, like equities, fixed income and high yield experience, an historic drop. It was basically a right across the board sell-off. Following the sell-off, which really only lasted a few weeks, we had an equally historic response from governments. We had a big policy response in the form of fiscal and monetary stimulus. In the U.S., For example, the Fed rolled out a massive multi-trillion dollar asset purchase and stabilization program. This included a corporate bond purchase program that included high yield bonds for the first time, which was a bit of a surprise. The Fed basically did what it took them to two years to do in 2009 in just two weeks. You know, it's been a massive and unprecedented, very quick response, frankly. The result was that starting at the end of March, we had a bounce back in financial markets and high yield. Uh, Since then, high yield and financial markets are still down but have stabilized as these programs are working. Where we go from here will depend really on the virus, how successful stimulus is, and how quickly the economy can get back going again. Now, Phil, you've been through several market downturns in your long career. How do you feel this one's different? Yeah, I've been through five market downturns in my career, and this is the sixth one, so quite a number of them. Uh, You always learn a lot about the range of outcomes fixed income can have in these downturns. Every time they are different. Some things are similar, but they're always different. Uh, This time, the range of outcomes is larger than previous downturns, given the much more uncertainty versus previous crisis. This crisis is driven by a pandemic or virus, which we do not yet know, have a great understanding of, although we are learning more every day. Okay, so then how does this compare to, say, the Great Recession of 2008, 2009? 08 and 09 uh, was really driven by some simple concepts to understand. Uh, In that case, it was all about overvalued real estate bad lending practices, and poor risk management involving derivatives. This time, the downturn is driven by a healthcare crisis involving a not well-understood virus. So there is much more uncertainty this time around. Okay, so despite the virus and the uncertainties there, do you think that governments were better prepared to handle this recession from the lessons learned in 2008? Yeah, I would say definitely. Despite the uh, virus uncertainties, you know, financial markets and governments are much better prepared this time around to at least deal with the financial crisis part of this. Uh, And that's really reflected in how quick and massive the stimulus response was. Uh, The size of the government stimulus response has been unprecedented. Governments are providing a backstop, which has provided a lot of confidence to markets. The Fed has become the lender of last resort, which is quite an outstanding statement, and a signal that it will do whatever it takes. 
all of this has had a material positive impact on stability. You know, it's the reason that the bond market and high yield market have been much more robust this time around. Credit and high yield markets really only froze up for a few days in March at the height of the panic. The investment grade or high grade market, you know, has been very quick to bounce back and get back to normal. High yield is really not far behind and large parts of it are already pretty much back to normal. Investors are pouring a lot of money back into high yield. Bonds are trading in the secondary market at a normal level. There is a record new issuance. You know, the risk appetite is increasing. Right now, the high yield market itself is still evolving, but for now, at least, it's improving every day with the new issuance and price discovery. And I also know from previous crises or what they've taught us is that they will end. Uh, so will this one and we'll find a way out of it. Okay, so let's talk about what happened to bonds in March because investors saw the value of their bond portfolios go down, whether it was in regular high-grade bonds uh, or in high-yield bonds. Why did all fixed income go down in March? You know, the fixed income market took a hit like every other financial market or investment asset class. The quick and dramatic impact of the virus created a lot of uncertainty around future economic growth. The fear was that social distancing would shut down the economy and move us into a recession, and that's pretty much what's happened. Bonds, just like stocks, do not like recessions. Uh, the virus increased the economic risk, so all corporate bonds had to adjust or sell off to reflect the increased economic risk. You know, after the initial large sell-off, both high-grade and high-yield bonds have partially bounced back, reflecting the massive government stimulus, uh, which was designed specifically to support the bond markets. And as I said before, the stimulus fleet directly includes a multi-trillion dollar bond buyback and lending program, which is uh, hugely supportive to bond markets. And I think it's also important to note that March also saw a lot of forced selling. Uh, an example of that is in the hedge fund world, where many hedge funds use a lot of leverage and take more risk as a result of that leverage and were caught with a wave of margin calls. Now, this forces them to sell their most liquid assets, including bonds, in order to raise cash, which puts a lot of downward pressure on all bonds as those hedge funds are forced to raise cash. So, now let's talk a little bit more about volatility as it relates to fixed income. In general, what causes bond prices to go up and down? Phil, maybe you can speak to that. Sure. Fixed income securities, uh, whether they're corporate bonds, loans, mortgage-backed securities, government bonds, they all trade in financial markets at prices determined by those markets. The value of a fixed income security goes up and down based on sort of the normal supply and demand factors. You know, many of the same factors like the economy, interest rates, the health of governments and companies that drive stock prices also drive fixed income securities. Just because you own a reasonably safe government bond does not mean that it cannot generate a negative return, particularly if interest rates go up. However, the nice thing about bonds is that given that, that the investor is actually lending money to the company or government through a bond, they have maturity dates. So even if the bond goes down in price or is volatile, as long as the issuer does not default, then by the maturity date, you will always get your money back and the price will eventually rise as you get closer to the maturity date. This is a big difference versus equities, which have no maturity dates. So equity prices can theoretically stay down or low forever. We'll also say that high yield has a history of bouncing back pretty significantly after a down year. In the seven down years of the 35-year history of the high yield market, the following rebound year after the down year had an average return of 26%. Now, of course, uh, we don't know what returns will be going forward, but I have no reason not to expect a decent bounce back in high yield like what we've seen historically, particularly uh, given how low interest rates are right now. And I think this is a great point and a critical one. We don't want to make promises as this is historical data and not a projection. And I want to stress that. But what it does speak to is a compelling history of recovery. 
Now, longer term clients of our firm will remember that in 2011, 2015 and 18, our own high yield fund posted a negative return. And by sticking to the program and the process, our clients enjoyed the outsized returns in the following years, 2012, 2016 and 19, which were by no surprise, three of our best years for performance. Now, I want to take a moment to discuss the opportunity in fixed income because we're asked this question a lot. And that question is, where do we see value uh, in bonds today? Investors should be focused on fixed income investments. They're going to beat inflation going forward and generate a decent yield and income in the process. Government bonds used to yield 4 to 5%. We remember those days well. And that's no longer the case. You know, your plain vanilla Bell Canada or CIBC bond that used to satisfy that requirement as well doesn't any longer. So we've been in an interest rate decreasing environment for the past 30 years. And here we are today where investors want fixed income from an asset allocation standpoint, need to generate income, need to beat inflation, and are looking for solutions in an environment where rates are at or near zero. And in our seminars and our speaking engagements, we refer to this as the investor conundrum. Our solution here has been and continues to be high yield where investors are getting paid well above average income with yields now over 9% today, given the recent sell-off in bond prices. So versus government and high-grade bonds, to us, high yield is the only fixed income opportunity to produce a meaningful income and to beat inflation in the process. I would just stress that one has to maintain a longer-term time horizon as bond prices, as, as Phil mentioned, can fluctuate in the short term. Now let's change gears here to focus on criteria and risk management. When we buy stocks, we're owners. And when we buy bonds as investors, we're lenders. And when we make investment decisions as owners or as lenders, risk management is always at the forefront and certainly is a key tenant of how we manage money here. In our first podcast, if you'll recall, we spoke to some of our equity criteria and risk management for that asset class. But Phil, perhaps you could speak to how we manage risk in our high yield fund. Sure. We manage risk in our high yield portfolio in a number of different ways. Uh, we manage the macro portfolio risk by putting together a portfolio that is well diversified in many different industry categories and has many different bonds. We also usually have more than 60 bonds in the portfolio with no bond representing more than say two, 3% of the portfolio. Although most uh, represent no more than one to 2% of the portfolio. Uh, we currently have 22 different industry subsectors in the portfolio. So well diversified across the economy. We also manage risk by picking bonds that are considered to be good credit investments. We try to match a bond's credit profile with its return. Essentially, we are picking pricing risk and making sure we are getting enough return for the risk we are taking. And Phil, maybe you could give a few current examples using companies we own in the portfolio today. Sure. Uh, we uh, currently own 57 bonds in the portfolio. So it's a pretty well diversified uh, portfolio. You know, I'll give you three examples of some bonds we currently own. We own a company called GFL Environmental, uh, which is a major waste management company in Toronto and Canada. Uh, waste managers is not a very cyclical business. It's actually very defensive. So it should do well in this economic downturn. We know that the company has been growing very fast. It's been using acquisitions to do that, which has resulted in increasing debt on its balance sheet. We believe the company is capable of generating positive free cash flow or cash, which it should be able to use to pay down debt, which is positive. Its main business is city garbage collection, which is secured by long-term contracts with the city of Toronto. You know, this is a business that has high barriers to entry, allowing them to operate in a near monopoly 
or certainly in a less competitive environment. You know, these are all very good criteria. I think these are very good bonds to own in the current environment. We also own a well-known name, Netflix, uh, with people confined to their homes to largely watch TV. Uh, this virus has been a bit, a bit of a perfect storm for Netflix. I know I've been watching a lot of Netflix myself. The company has significantly benefited from the increase in uh, viewership and new subscribers during this period. Uh, you know, it seems to have pulled forward. It's already high growth. We have like networks, Netflix for some time now. It is a, the premier video streaming company and has a lot of first mover advantages. It's growing revenues by about 30% per year, spending a lot of, on new content, but it's still making improvements to free cash flow. You know, it doesn't have too much debt or that much leverage, usually given it has $185 billion equity market cap. And finally, we own the bonds of Post Holdings. Post is, a, is one of the largest cereal and food companies. Food and beverage is a very good defensive sector. Uh, in recent years, the company has been diversifying its product lines through acquisitions. Uh, the company has modest but relatively stable revenue and margins. Uh, it should not really get too hit too hard from this virus or shutdown. The company generates uh, positive free cash flow, which it can use to pay down debt. You know, it's plenty of liquidity. I think this company will really have no problem coming through this crisis. And you mentioned monitoring, which is a key point. And certainly one could argue the ongoing process of monitoring a security is equally as important as the decision to include the security in the first place. Perhaps describe what actively monitoring our high-yield portfolio looks like. Yeah, monitoring your uh, investments and portfolio is a very important part of investment management. We monitor the portfolio both on a macro or portfolio level and on an individual investment or company level. We pay attention to diversification, overall portfolio credit risk, aggregate returns, all the things you would do to manage an investment portfolio. On the individual uh, investment or company level, we pay attention to quarterly results. We update our financial models. We follow all the news and industry that is data that is related to our company investments. And we really pay attention to the daily price movements of the bonds. You know, we'll make adjustments like selling bonds or adding to positions as required. And Phil, if, if I could ask, you know, as we wrap up this audio cast, what's the number one thing our listeners can take away from the discussion today? I think there's really two things to keep in mind. In this low interest rate environment, high yield bonds offer an attractive yield versus pretty much everything else in fixed income. It is one of the few places you can go to earn a return above inflation. In addition, I would say that historically, high yield bonds bounce back pretty strongly after a down market. Uh, to me, these two points would suggest that this sell-off has created a very good opportunity for investors to buy high yield bonds. Or if you already own high yield bonds, you need to stay the course. These two factors are the reason that a lot of investor money has been flowing back into high yield bonds. In fact, we've had a record 25 billion of money flowing to high yield bonds in just the last few weeks. I think those are two great points. And as we wrap up this podcast, I, I think it's important to remember that outside of cash and GICs, investors really need to have a longer term time horizon. Bond prices can be volatile, both with government bonds, your regular plain vanilla 2% bonds, and with high yield bonds. And often that volatility is, is not a reflection of the value or quality of the bond, but can reflect the environment we're in, the fear, the panic, uh, and the forced sellers. When it comes to fixed income, there's obviously a lot to cover, too much to fit all in one communication. So please consider this part one of an ongoing discussion. And in the coming weeks, we will follow this up with part two, where we're going to dive deeper into bonds and the current environment. Phil, I appreciate you taking the time today and all of the important insights and commentary here. So thank you. Anytime, Liam. 
And if any of our listeners have any questions, please feel free to reach out to us anytime. Our contact info is on our website, www.steinbergwealth.com. And you can call or email anytime. Be sure to tune in to our next audio cast where we're going to discuss investing in Canada, what to avoid, where we see opportunities, and how we've positioned our recently launched Canadian dividend growth strategy. 